Secret soldiers and space gods. Welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel. It's the podcast where a comedian who has never read a Marvel comic book before in his life watches a Marvel movie or TV show and then quizzes someone who is a Marvel expert, someone that was actually taught to read using Marvel comics. It is the yin and the yang of the Marvel experience. Welcome to the show. My name's Rob Haldon. I'm a comedian uh, and I'm a writer and I'm also the Marvel expert on the show. But really, the show is driven by one man <laughs> in his very ignorant car. It's Mr. Will Preston. Driven uh, off a cliff, because I don't. I, I ignore the signs, I ignore the cliff, you know, I don't care. I'm having a good time with my blissful ignorance of driving. It's, that was, tor- <laughs> it was a torture. Well, the great thing about Will is that he starts saying something with no idea where it's going. <laughs> Do you know what? And I've just got trying to, to find uh, out. Actually, no, I better not speak. <laughs> the rest of the podcast is just going to be you talking Don't know what I'm going to say Let's not torture people with this Now it's, we're in our fourth year now Will And I just need to double check in with you We used to do this a lot at the start Have you ever read a Marvel comic In, in all your many 30 nearly 40 years No I've, I've read a lot of comics Never read Marvel And I'm not allowed to now no, Because of the to. bloody po- I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I think in yeah. a couple of years I'm going to start some kind of negotiation with you Maybe I could read some stuff we've no. covered. No, you are just no. the worst. Uh, your 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 poster, your picture is up in every comic book shop around the country. Do not sell to this man. <laughs> and they're all. I've got a network going. Uh, eBay, e- even the all the eBay sellers, they all know not to sell to you, um, you unless you just some awful. sort of black market setup. It's never going to happen. You are just awful. Controlling your life. The worst. Um, this is our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode on that MVM podcast. Coming up, we go behind the scenes on the MCU after the Avengers movie and the making of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show. We go behind the page on the creation of Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. in the Marvel comics, their World War II history. We'll dive into the craziest secrets in S.H.I.E.L.D.'s um, long-standing history that goes way, 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 way back. We'll look at Agent Peggy Carter. We'll find out which S.H.I.E.L.D. agent made a deal deal with the devil and we'll talk about the time that Galileo fought Galactus it is all <laughs> happening on this podcast you don't want to go anywhere um that's piqued Will's interest I uh <laughs> man I, I was expecting hey it's it's Marvel doing spy stuff with cool gadgets and whatnot and now it's it just is. like but you just said fighting Galactus, and I'm like, no, 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 this, is, this isn't James Bond anymore. Galileo, Galileo, Galileo fighting Galileo. Galactus. <laughs> um, and look, it's great to be back in kind of the Marvel uh, universe after our, our last um, swing and dive into the DC universe when we looked at uh, Batman 1989 oh, yes. um, in, the, in the last big deep dive, um, a critical part of understanding how Marvel Comics came together. But it's great to be back in the Marvel universe. And we're going to stay in the Marvel universe because our next, our very next episode is going to be the most current thing we've ever looked at. <laughs> And there'll be more about that at the end of the show. That's what we call in the business a little tease. Tease. Um, but that one's going to be well and truly in the MCU. Yeah. Um, in the next episode. Very much looking forward to that return of a big, big, big player. Mm. Um, who we haven't talked about this podcast in a while, so that's going to be great and fun. And there's even more fun in the month of July. For a limited time in July, 
you can get a seven-day free trial on our Patreon. This is the first time we've been able to do this, first time Patreon have let people do this. Um, so we're really excited to be able to offer this in July. Um, you can get seven days free trial to explore all our bonus content. How cool is that? Um, you can, from the mega deep dives that we do and our full-length bonus episodes every month to the fun little mini-shows we do with Obscure Marvel, seven days free of Marvel vs. Marvel bonus content. Head to patreon.com slash Marvel vs. Marvel. Look for the VIEP tier. That's going to have the free trial. You're going to get yourself seven days free check out everything we do you can look at any of the bonus content bonus episodes that we've done over the last three years um you can, you can line up some deep dives for a week and line up some obscure marvels for a week and then when it gets to the end of that week oh you're gonna be so thirsty for more you're gonna be so thirsty for more <laughs> it is murky it is dark there is a mist hanging above the bog-like terrain. A hawk in the distance. Ah, 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 ah. Something, <laughs> something, some tentacle wraps around your ankle. Oh, where am I? You're in the mind of a muggle. You're in the very dank and ignorant mind of Mr. Will Preston. And that's where we want to be. So the, why are you doing what's, what's with that face? It's, it's, you it's know a what? regular it, it, introduction to I your have, segment. I have never <laughs> seen such colourful and beautiful language be used for petty bullying. <laughs> what are you talking I'm set. I'm drawing a mind picture and I'm letting everyone know where they currently are. They're inside the mind of Will Preston. And there's nothing here. <laughs> Shut it's all, up! It's all an ignorant, Stop being ignorant swampland. <laughs> You're so, so mean. <laughs> take us back, Will. Um, take us. <laughs> take us back um, in your in your mind. Travel yeah. through time with us um, to. Uh, to uh, after 2012, um, mm. 2013, isn't it? When um, this TV series comes out. Um, how would you, I mean, when you were done with, done with, we've, we've had the Avengers, um, we're in that, um, Iron Man 3, uh, kind of, um, period. Mm. And this show's announced. Did you watch this at the time? I did not. I did not watch this. I, I barely heard about it, if I'm completely honest. Barely heard about it? Barely wow. heard about it. I mean, it, I think it's one of the things that popped up in the peripheral. I think I was more concerned with Daredevil. Actually, when did Daredevil come out? Because I, I keep having false memories that it came out in 2013. It's not in front of me, I'm it's not afraid. Front of me. But no, I, I, I wasn't really concerned with it. And I just thought, <laughs> I think when I heard about it and saw screenshots online of it, I was like, this looks like a terrible tie-in. I don't want to watch wow, this. Really? Even yeah, with Joss Whedon attached? And the budget, the budget's I, really... It doesn't look cheap in the slightest. I don't know. I just looked at it and went, this looks like a, a network show that they're trying to squeeze out stuff. And I didn't, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't up for it, Rob. I wasn't what, up for what, it. Tell the people what you mean when you say this looks like a network show. It looks like, uh, well, it is actually 22 episodes a season. You know, like proper, we're going to do loads of episodes per season. There's, uh, it feels, it feels snob. like a, like you another network show, you know. TV snob, yeah. a TV snob who doesn't see anything beyond, you know, the cable shows. Hey, hey, I, I, I like my prestige drama, and I love ER, Hill Street <laughs> Blues. Like, um, tw you're a Twin Peaks guy. 
But you can't slag off network television. Every sit- every great sitcom ever made. But, it's like, if we're talking dramas, NYPD Blue, Homicide Life on the Screen. Let, let, let me ha- have the my X misguided Files. insults. <laughs> Look, let me just... Just, just, just. Look, I have no logic with this. I, I it, it, it looked like the bad kind of network TV, but you know, and it just didn't appeal to me. Uh, and I was like, and then lost, eventually, lost. I never saw Lost. I never saw Lost. <laughs> and every time I think about watching it, I look at how many episodes there are and everyone's reactions, and I'm like, I don't think I can put myself through this. Through lots of TV shows, two through through lots of, two uh, shows. I, 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 do you know what? I just love it when you don't you do ten episodes a season, maximum, and you, you do a handful of seasons, and you go, that's it, that's the story done. I don't like eleven seasons. I don't want lo- episodes. good good things to keep happening to me. No, is be, what Will Brad? Because you get, Slayer. <laughs> I, 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 I need to go back and watch that. I do. Okay, so you were interested. You didn't check this out. I guess around the time, were you were you watching any? Because it was still, back then, this was still ever so slightly for me an era where if something good was on TV, Mm. in this country we'd call it terrestrial TV. In the UK, (laughs) there's terrestrial TV is stuff that kind of comes to everyone's homes through your your, your aerial. And if you want anything extra, then there's like satellite TV or cable TV, which is how we kind of... And of course, we're in the era where Netflix is is happening, but it's Mm. not really happening. I remember Um, getting a uh, subscription at the time to Netflix and... In 2013, and being terribly disappointed. But I, it was the era around this was was when I, if again, if something good was on TV, I would like sit down to watch it. I'd make the appointment to sit down and watch it. I I I do remember, like when I, I was working in a pub at the time, and Netflix was good because. The hours I worked meant that when I wanted to watch TV, nothing was on terrestrial regular television. <laughs> so there's nothing for me during the day yeah. at all when I'm getting ready for when I'm about to go to work. Then when I go to work, it's like five till one in the morning or two in the morning or something. I'm getting home buzzing from you know a night of work, nothing on TV again. And so the big thing that Netflix allowed me to do was to be to watch like a movie or an old, you know, like a TV thing or whatever, you know, a decent TV show at the hours I'm around when daytime TV is horrible, late night TV. I mean, early morning TV is horrible. Um, But but still, when I remember, because this was shown on uh, Channel 4 or E4 in in the UK. Yeah. um, And I remember sitting down and making an appointment and sit down and watching this stuff. Um, But that was, uh, I mean, so... I, I never did, did that. I, I never did that back then. I think I stopped actually going, oh, this is on now. I'm going to watch this. I can't remember the last time yeah. I did that. It must have been the early noughties or something. Because I, got, I, I got some friends that are quite similar. They just have no, they don't, they, the fact they don't pay their TV license anymore <laughs> because they don't watch anything. Whereas yeah. I, I'm very much, I'm a big, I'm a big, big, big fan and supporter of the BBC. I watch Good. iPlayer all the time. Um, but I also kind of watch, there's a, there's a few, like I, I, I still watch some uh, the Cor- Coronation Street soap. I watch that a couple times a week. Oh, you you watch um, Coronation Street still? Oh yeah, love love, love a bit of Cory. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not gonna you know be despondent. I get why people like it. I just couldn't because it's just too much. It's like on 
almost you know all the time, and it's been going on for ages, and it's not ending anytime soon. See, There's this no is interesting. This is this is so interesting. This is people's attitude towards comic books. Yeah, I got loads of friends who hate the idea. Paul Savage is one of them, a comedian, dear friend of ours. It doesn't like Spider Man because it never ends. What are you talking about? <laughs> but the, people, they, they they don't like this, and and we're now getting that from a lot of people. That's a lot of the vitriol towards the MCU. Mm. They should have just ended it. Why do they keep making more stories and having more fun? What do you mean? <laughs> but they just they, they, there's a there is something in people, and I think maybe it's people that didn't grow up with comic books, where yeah. there is a need for there to be like a conclusion. Whereas in ongoing comics, Marvel and DC, you get those conclusions, but then you pick up the next issue, and there's kind of like a, a soft reset. And we kind of go off and have another adventure, or it spawns off in a different direction. Yeah, and so very much like soap. Soap operas are the same, although soap operas characters leave and die, and new characters come in, and the the, the focus shifts. That doesn't yeah. quite happen with comic book. You get the the main character is still the main character going on. Um, so it's quite that's, that's quite an interesting perspective to have that, and and that seems to be similar to your kind of attitude when it comes to like all you know how you approach these kind of long-running network tv shows i think that's the case for me i i i think once i got into stuff like the wire and breaking bad and sopranos i i i just i savor the idea of we've got a structure here there's a beginning there's a middle there's an end it's you know not completely defined just yet because you know they might be figuring it out well i tell you what there, there is a difference in because it's it like good good network TV shows have that they, they have d- story arcs and they have seasonal arcs but but let's listen then there's a difference between that and something like NCIS <laughs> where yes. you know what I mean there's a yeah. lot less care and attention paid um, there's an awful lot of episode like episodes have a beginning a middle and end and don't necessarily affect the next one. You know, there's, there's a bit of that that goes on, and that's vastly different to that. the the world that was kind of created by by pretty much kind of like Joss Whedon with Buffy the Vampire Slayer and doing that in this kind of because even X Files didn't really have this had a little bit of it later it, on, but what Buffy kind of introduced was this thing in in high, fantasy and sci fi where you have your season arcs, yeah. you have your um, thing that happens in one episode, but you've also that has a beginning, a middle, and end, but also an ongoing story arc and an ongoing character arc. See that the N- NCIS, the CSI, whatever uh, thing is what I was thinking Agents of Shield would be like. I was expecting mm. that kind of no season long story arc, no overall arc, just hey, there's a thing, but we solved it in the end of this episode. On to next week, and whereas a- yeah, whereas item. for me, I know Joss Whedon's involved. Yeah. I know it's going to be in the vein of Buffy or Lost, where you know, well, Lost was Lost was even to a higher degree because there was a higher conspiracy and all of that going on. Um, but I, I just maybe I, so I guess I had the big faith in the guy that brought his Angel and Buffy and stuff. You, which you were like th- you knew what was going on behind the curtain to a degree. I didn't. I, I I'd, I'd had an experience of good of those of good TV shows that are yeah. like that, um, especially if they're they're not they're not on, they're. I mean, we're talking about roughly the same amount of TV time because with, with your prestige dramas, mm. they're double the length of a network TV show. So your 10, 12 episodes that are like 45 minutes to an hour, you're getting the same. You're just getting it in a in a burst of like one-hour episodes rather than 22 half-hour episodes. Well, no. I mean, network TV shows are usually like 45, 40 to, to an hour 
not not. It depends what you're talking about. Oh yeah, true. Depends which. Oh one yeah, your fucking like, vampire slayer isn't an hour, is it? It's half no, as... twenty five minutes. I think I can't remember what these ones are. Actually, I haven't watched mm. them. Um, I didn't. They didn't strike me as forty five minute hour long episodes. I might have been wrong. Um, but yeah. So, but there's there's there's. I I, I can see where that kind of uh, comes into it. Yeah. But in the wake of Avengers, then. Will Preston, <laughs> were you hungry for more Marvel? This one didn't really land on your radar, but do you think at the time, were you hungry for more? It was the idea of doing a TV show. This is before we, we got the good Daredevil stuff. It's before mm. we get the Disney Plus stuff. So, so you said it kind of felt to you like a cash-in rather ca- than yeah. a good project, a good Marvel project. Yeah, because I've seen this before when there's a good film or a film franchise and then they do, hey, we're doing a TV spinoff. I, I'm trying to think of specific examples because it's usually cartoon spinoffs. Every time they do a cartoon spinoff or a TV spinoff of a film, a much-adored film or something, it's usually a decline in quality. It doesn't stand yeah, it out was, on its own. It's a side piece. I remember Bill and Ted and Back to the Future when I was a kid. <laughs> yes. And I remember the Godzilla one. I was too old to watch it, really. But that one, yeah. the, but, but also there was the Clueless, the TV series. There was <laughs> Time... Hell. Time Cop, the TV series. No, um, no. So I, I do, I do have definitely remember memories of those. There were the yeah. kind of the often in the and, and there would be on ITV uh, on a Saturday oh. afternoon, yeah. and you'd kind of have like Night Rider, Baywatch, Time Cop, or the Clueless TV show. That's I remember thinking with the Clueless TV show, I think Alicia Silverstone was the only member of the cast that didn't. Um, sign up to do it because she was a much bigger star whereas I think all the other kids and actors that were in the movie did this TV show because they had nothing else going on um, <laughs> oh yeah. that's that's. I mean you know good good for them getting the work but there's a, there's a sadness to it and then so you didn't really ha- hear anything as I've got to say I know you, I, I, I think you this Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a good series the the level of like arcing and build up and mm. you know one story leads to goes to another and the level of character kind of development and, and cool stuff that happens if you if you if you've you perhaps can't imagine it if you haven't kind of been through that angel and buffy kind of stuff but it's um if you like that thing they just is really good for that yeah. uh, head and shoulders better than stuff like smallville and and, and those kind of yeah you know, arrow and things like that it's, i was expecting um, smallville i was that's i think that's again nailing on them because I'm, I'm i'm trying struggling to kind of like say what kind of was expecting but stuff like smallville exactly what i was expecting i i watched a bit of it but it was like ah this ain't for me and um, so you didn't hear anything about Agents of Shield really in the previous I, years. I think the odd person would go, "Yeah, it's all right," and that's all I heard. I heard barely anything. Wasn't really a big thing in this country, no. Um, but it definitely had. I mean, because it's it's insanely well received. Um, the I think you've got the. Um, review scores, the Rotten mm. Tomato scores later on in the, in the show. Yeah. Um, and you know the way it ties into Winter Soldier is brilliant. It's a really good companion piece to Winter Soldier, but of course you've got to have the time to it to invest in it. <laughs> yeah. I crawl out of the boggy swamps. <laughs> I I flag down yeah. a passing car. I grab the driver. I pull him out and I scream. I have to call Mr. Hollywood. I need his help. 
uh, to summon the only man that can go diving through the dumpsters of Hollywood and bring us all the behind-the-scenes production notes. Um, So, Mr. Hollywood, make yourself known. Mr. Hollywood isn't going to yell out today. It's too hot. Uh, (laughs) Even L.A. weather is too hot, man. Like, what's the heat in, in Studio B? It's not bad. Sorry, behind the curtain, it's a hot day in England today. Uh, it's towards 30 degrees Celsius. Yeah. Uh, and people going, yeah, it's nothing compared to... No, 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 no. When it gets it's hot different. in England, it's, it's, it's bad. We're not built... This country's not built for warm weather. And it's the humidity <laughs> level. Our houses... I don't know if this will shock many people in America. Our houses are made of things like brick. Yeah. We do not have wooden homes like the rest of you. Um, yeah. And we, it's, we, we are... Our houses are designed to retain heat. Um, it's not fun. And there's going to be a thunderstorm today as well in this oh, in Studio A, so that's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that. Anyway, anyway, let's get down to Mr. Hollywood's business. After the Walt Disney Company purchased Marvel Entertainment in 2009, they announced that a Marvel television division was being formed under Jeff Loeb. Do you know Jeff Loeb at all? Jeff Loeb, I've read one of his runs. I read, I think I've read his runs, Superman and Batman. Um, Superman for all seasons Superman, he did, which I, is wonderful. I haven't done read that one, but I think right. it was Batman and Oh, Superman. you read the Superman Batman. That's not a good run. That's not, it, was, <laughs> it was all right. Superman for all seasons. I have to write this one down. That's really good. Um, so he did Batman The Long Halloween, which is regarded as one of the best Batman stories ever. Yeah. He did the sequel, Dark Victory, with a guy called Tim Sale. Um, and he did um, Superman for All Seasons, which is wonderful. What's, what's the um, basic gist of Superman for All Seasons, if I might go on a little detour with this? It's less to do with story. His, it's really interesting to say this. His stuff is less to do with story and more to do with the character. It's, it's yeah. kind of to do with who, what, who is Superman the man. Um, and kind of, there's an awful lot of looking at his kind of like Clark Kent and his farm kind of, his kind of farm, farm boy background and stuff. I, um, I'm just thinking of a Burns for all seasons uh, on The Simpsons. I don't know what that means. Okay, okay some people will. It's, it's, it's the film festival one. Never mind. <clears throat> Good. Um, yeah. Well, A Man for All Seasons is uh, um, an old movie about that guy, the guy who was advisor to the king, um, Cromwell, not the Cromwell, the other Cromwell. Oh, the Cromwell. No, not Oliver Cromwell. Not Oliver Cromwell, the other Cromwell. Anyway. Too many um, Cromwells. Yeah, Loeb also was a um, producer and writer on Smallville, and Mm. he'd written, I think he wrote Teen Wolf, or maybe he wrote the sequel to Teen Wolf. Team and I think he wrote yeah. Commando as well. No um, way. I think no so. Way. Yeah. We have to look this up. Um so that's that's Jeff Loeb. Jeff Loeb, yeah. So, speaking with Newsarama in 2010, Jeff Loeb said, after the Disney buyout, it became apparent that Disney was very interested in bringing Marvel into television. There was already an ongoing relationship within the world of animation, and because Disney has so many networks, ABC, ABC Family, Disney Channel, XD, ESPN, there were a number of opportunities that suddenly became available to Marvel. I don't think, I don't think ESPN was an, op- was, was an opportunity for, for Marvel programming, Jeff. Uh, I, I don't think I, there's going to be some sort of Marvel sports going on. You make fun of me for having a muggly mind, but your imagination has dwindled at the prospect <laughs> of Marvel-themed sports entertainment on ESPN, Rob. How dare yeah, okay. you hold us back from wonder? <laughs> You're an awful person, and I want to read Marvel comics. You're a bully. Uh, I'm going to continue. <laughs> There's a brand new division that will do with live action. 
where we're working in partnership with ABC and ABC Family to find the right properties, the right characters and develop them. To start, we will be exploring the one-hour drama field similar to the shows that I mentioned that I've worked on like Smallville and Lost. Television is primarily a writer's medium and the shows that really stick in our minds, particularly genre shows, the best ones are particularly driven by someone who has a clear vision. Damon Lindolph of Lost, Al Goff and Miles Miller on Smallville, Joss Whedon on Buffy and Angel. These are the kinds of people and relationships that we want to look to as we develop our properties so that the shows themselves have a very unique and distinct flavour and at the same time remain true to the characters that Marvel fans love and still find a worldwide audience. I didn't hear that at the time, but that's the first time I've heard that quote. But that that would have given me tremendous hope. Yeah. Um, and 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 I would have thought there's a bright things in the future of this TV show, name dropping like the the very best in this kind of uh, field of kind of sci-fi fantasy action stuff. Yeah, I, I just had a quicker look at Jeff Loeb. Yeah, you're right. He did do Commando. <laughs> the truck. Did he do Teen Wolf? Yeah, he did Teen Wolf the first. Both uh, Teen Wolves. There we go. He wrote both of them. There we go. Uh, Wikipedia lists him as Jeff Loeb the third on that. <laughs> oh, okay. is Jeff? Is he Jeff Loeb the third? I don't know his family history, Will. I just know that he writes comics and movies. It's, it's Jeff Loeb the third. Why is that funny? That that's what kings do. Oh, <laughs> uh, America's American family. It's, it's quite it's quite a thing in America. Oh, I just I just find it hilarious. It's like it's, oh, it's generally well-to-do families. Yeah, that's fair. You have a junior. Yeah. So you have Junior, and then if you, if you're if you're Jeff Loeb Junior, yeah. and you name your son Jeff, Jeff Loeb, Loeb as well, yeah. that's Jeff Loeb the third. Third, ah, Henry Jones Junior. No. So, so every, every time I hear Junior, I keep thinking Angel the in the X Men is yeah. Warren Worthington the third, yeah. and he's quite a well-to-do, kind he of is. A rich family. He's a rich winged boy. Anyway. In July 2012, Marvel Television entered into discussions with ABC to make a new series set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The series was described as a kernel of an idea, with a number of scenarios being explored, including a high-concept cop show. On August... The, yeah, there's, a lot, there's always been a lot of talk of yeah. people wanting to do... What if we did, uh, like, NYPD Blue, but in a world with superheroes... <laughs> Um, that's kind of been a long talk of people uh, that TV people always want to kind of make that show that show exists uh, it's a comic book it's called Powers it's, it was really good for a bit okay uh, for and a then bit. they made it into a TV series and it wasn't as good oh that's a shame but it's, like it's... it was a police procedural in a world with superheroes and supervillains um, is that Marvel no not? No, it's Brian Michael Bendis did it. Um, at I think it was Image Comics. Um, it eventually got folded into Marvel when he had an, ex but but it kind of yeah, it was Image because he owns it completely. Um, the the best way of describing that is there's a great scene early on where like the Supergirl character of this universe has been murdered. They yeah. find the body and they're invest. Two cops are investigating the murder and they take the body to like the uh, the, the the autopsy and the. The doctor is just 
out of his mind. He's like, do you have any idea how difficult my job is? They brought in they brought in a talking monkey with a laser gun the other day. I don't know what that is. Is it an alien? Is it is it a mutant? Like, you want me to do an autopsy? I can't pierce her skin. I got nothing to pierce this skin. How do I do an autopsy? I'm going to get a blowtorch on her. I'm going to get like a buzz cutter. I don't know what I'm doing. And that's oh. kind of like, so many jobs would be very difficult in this world. Oh man, I am I I I I'm, I think I'm gonna have to get on board with that. Powers is a wonderful series. Brian Michael Bendis, um, really interesting artwork by Michael Oving, um, and Bendis's dialogue really shines through. It's yeah. kind of one of the big things that got him the job on Ultimate Spider Man, um, and it's 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 really interesting. It's a lot. It's 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 purely dialogue driven, but they they really go into a lot of the themes of. The second story arc is very much about a super team that's kind of like corporate sponsored. All the stuff that the boys ended up doing like yeah, 15 yeah. years later and everyone going, oh, wow, this is new. No. Yeah, because I've, I've talked to you about the boys so much and every time he's, he's talk about it, you go, yeah, it was done already. It's not an, it's not a new concept. Yeah. And like, yeah, that's yeah. fair. It's, it's interesting. To, I, feel like, I feel like I've got the inside tips from you. <laughs> yeah, P- powers is good. I think, to, to be honest, I think it started to fall off mm. quite a while down the line when Bendis was very, very focused on his Marvel work. And for me, he started to do much bigger fantasy kind of world building stories with powers. And I kind of didn't want that. I wanted a police procedural <laughs> where the the two cops you like are solving a different wild superhero kind of murder or or whatever story. And he kind of went into this. Oh, and here's the secret history of superhumans. I was like, I don't want that. No, I don't want that. No, that's uh, that's. A but bit it's weird. it's really good for a few years. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna. I, I, I'm I'm putting. I've got big big list of comics to check out, and that's definitely going on there. I love that sound. Of that anyway. Let's continue. On August seventh, two thousand and twelve, Joss Whedon was announced to be involved in the series development. Whedon had written and directed the successful MCU film The Avengers in two thousand and twelve. In August, on the next day, on August eighth, Whedon, along with his brother Jed and sister-in-law, uh, Marissa Tan- Tanchurin, you told you told me to check the pronunciation of this. I did, I yeah. did. And, you, and I was and like, oh, I don't remember that. I didn't. Right. So what did I actually say? <laughs> you said there was something phonetic. after. I said write it phonetically because that's how you don't have to remember. Did you do that bit? No. No. Okay. No, everyone should just be called Dave or Sharon. That's it's just because I struggle as well, and I I do it in in, in wrestling when I'm um, I'm trying to learn a lot of new names and stuff in in the wrestling commentary world, and with this as well. So I just always make sure I don't get myself caught out by writing things out phonetically. I I also think I also think it's funny if if I get the pronunciation wrong. I disagree. <laughs> I hate it. It's my least favorite part of the show. Okay, I'll it's continue. You looking at me, going, "What do I do? What do I do? Do I do that right?" <laughs> Damn it! Did I do it right, Daddy? Had a week to prepare. <laughs> Stop this. Uh, anyway, they met with Loeb to pitch him their idea for the series. With meetings in the following days with ABC Studios and ABC Network. At the end of August, ABC ordered a pilot for a series called Shield to be written and directed by Joss Whedon, with Jed Whedon and Tanchuran also writing. In January 2013, Joss Whedon deflected any direct influences from other series, such as the efforts of Fox Mulder and Dana Scully in the X-Files, and explained that while the show would involve people with powers and the spectacle of science fiction storytelling, it would focus on the peripheral people, the people on the edges of the grand adventures. So that's kind of like what you were saying with powers, it's people 
existing in a world where they're not really the focus usually. Yeah. Yeah, love it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Whedon would have definitely been very, very aware of Powers, but this doesn't have a pow- much of a Powers flavour to it. Powers is very... Powers is NYPD blue, <laughs> but but the criminals have superpowers. Like, it's that <laughs> level of procedural. It's that level of annoyed, bored, grumpy people. Oh, and there's a guy with laser eyes. He's killed someone, you know. Yeah, um, do you know what I'd love? I'd really love if someone like uh, uh, Valchek from The Wire was involved in this. I just want to hmm. see what his character would be like. <laughs> Superheroes yeah. just whining to people and then trying to work his way up the chain while there's a building exploding or something. <laughs> anyway, going on further about the concept of the show, Whedon said, Anybody who's ever seen one of my shows knows I love the ensembles. I love the peripheral characters. This is basically a teary series of The Zeppo, an episode of Buffy, which was a very deliberate deconstruction of a Buffy episode in order to star the person who mattered the least. Okay, to explain that one, yeah. yeah. So one of the peripheral characters in Buffy is the the, the only lad on the team, Xander. Xander, The Zeppo yeah, yeah, yeah. is an episode all about him. And the way that's kind of cleverly done, is, if I remember correctly, is that basically... The, the rest of the gang, like Buffy, the star, and her psychic and everything, are doing a whole adventure. But that's kind of in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Whilst Xander is having his own kind of side side adventure, which is what we follow. And he keeps coming in and out of the main story that you go, oh, that's probably what we want to... No, they've gone. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we see... And he he's incidentally yeah, doing yeah. stuff, and he ends up having his own adventure that does happen to kind of like accidentally save the world and everything. But, yeah. I... I'm really going to have to watch Buffy. It's, it's on my list to watch again because I watched the first season, uh, 2013, and I, I bloody loved it. And but that, I didn't yeah, continue. it's good. That, and that is the roughest season because they they weren't yeah. safe in that season. Yeah, the second I, the second series is where it all picks up. I I, I got the idea that it was going to pick up anyway. Anyway, uh, the people who are ignored are the people I've been writing as my heroes from day one. With S.H.I.E.L.D., the idea of Clark Gregg's Agent Coulson as the long-suffering bureaucrat who deals with Tony Stark's insufferability is delightful and hits the core of something I'm also writing about all the time. The little guy versus the big, faceless organisation. Now, someone might point out, but isn't S.H.I.E.L.D. a big, faceless organisation? It absolutely is, and that's something we're going to deal with in the series. But what's really interesting to me is there's a world of superheroes and superstars. They're celebrities, and that's a complicated world, particularly complicated for people who don't have the superpowers, the disenfranchised. Now, obviously, there's going to be hijinks and hilarity and sex and gadgets, all the things that made people buy the comics. But that's what the show really is about to me, and that's what Clark Gregg embodies, the everyman. I would have called this show Hijinks, Sex and Gadgets. <laughs> that's what would make me watch a TV show. <laughs> I like it. No messing around. You know exactly what you're getting. In April 2013, ABC announced that the series would be titled Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and it was officially picked up for a full season of 22 episodes in May 2013. The first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. averaged over 8 million viewers and received favourable reviews from viewers and critics. Now, granted with what I said before, I was really blown away to look at the uh, Rotten Tomatoes score for this. <laughs> it's, it's. I'm gonna, have, I'm, I, I am gonna watch the whole thing at some point. I, I got it down. In fact, I was talking to my boss. Uh, he started watching it, and he's like, because he loves Joss Whedon. He's like, yeah, it's quite fun. He said, anyway, 
Well, I'll go through the seven seasons. Season one, 88%. These are Rotten Tomato scores, by the way. Season two, 91. Season three, 100. Season four, 96. Season five, 100. Season six, 93. Season seven, 100. Bloody hell. 100 scores. Three seasons that are like 100% certified fresh on Rotten Tomato. I mean. To do some context on that, I do think with with shows like this that aren't mega, mega, mega popular, the people yeah. writing the reviews are probably big fans. I, I don't know how many people are going out of their way to... Like, when a movie comes out yeah. on Rotten Tomato, you generally get a bit of a broader spectrum, Yeah, right? Yeah, but yeah, when, yeah. when kind of a niche show comes out, I think you, you probably... I think that's, they're, they're probably weighted... I don't think it's a good idea for anyone to go into a, a show or an experience going, I'm expecting this to be 100% certified fresh good. <laughs> so I would sprinkle a little salt on that. Yeah, that's well, you know, you, you, you are, a little petty, salt on that tomato. You're, you're a petty bully. We've established that. True, yeah. You're a salty man. Anyway, the show would last seven seasons, ending in 2020, while still being affected by the changes in the MCU. Speaking about keeping this project in line, showrunner Jeff Bell said in 2014, there's a writer's room we put together, a total of 10 bodies and a couple of writing teams. We work collaboratively to work out the stories. Then I have a line producer, Gary Brown, who works out the physical production. Jeff Loeb is really our point person at Marvel. He's the head of TV there, and he writes as well. He's been a great creative partner. He's usually the first person we speak to about any creative stuff. Marvel is complicated in that we're part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so after Mr. Loeb, we'll run it through New York, Joe Quesada, Dan Buckley, and those guys. We pitch our stuff to Kevin Feige and his movie group to see if there's something we can tie into. To see if they're okay about us using a character or a weapon or some other cool thing. Everything is interconnected. And that's what really... And that's really what we have to pay the most attention to. It's challenging, but fun, as we try to lay some Easter eggs in. Something that ties into a movie, or, if not, at least the comics, so fans can find those little things that nobody else knows about. The AV Club, who write great reviews, have written quite uh, uh, one really good piece about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and it was about how like, no one ever before or since has done what this show was doing, which is that it's constantly having to react to the MCU movies, which are changing the universe. Yeah. Um, so th- that is a, a bold and really interesting. Like, once the Winter Soldier comes out, S.H.I.E.L.D. is, like, exploded from within because everyone's Hydra. Yeah. And that completely changed. And, like, you know, and those guys are along for the ride. They don't, they don't know what... And then so many things get changed by... Uh, and then the, the, the Age of Ultron comes out and it's the Thingy Accords, you know. They're yeah, just yeah, tons they have to they have to go. And it's it's interesting. Like I said, there's a lot there's a lot of, of is every episode gonna be great? No. Um is it is it is the is it gonna have the same budget as a movie? No. But <laughs> it's it's worth it's definitely, definitely worth watching. What was happening in the world um in two thousand and thirteen? Um, Will, how old were you in 2013? I think I, I just, uh, uh, my birthday's in February. Uh, I was 25, 26. I was a young man. Uh, I shaved my head at the beginning of that year. I had a very weird start to the year because <laughs> like, I was unemployed. Uh, and then I got my first software testing job, which set me on the path that made, that made me into the great man that stands before you. <laughs> oh, that's now. good. That's a good year. That's pretty no, good. It, year. It, it, was, it was a very, 2012, very rough year for me. First year in London. 2013, I managed to actually uh, stabilize myself. 
I think I'm thinking I I was I was it was the year I turned thirty, and I I had a big uh, that was probably one of the last real big that and the night I left the pub I guess but it was mm. the last big kind of like birthday where all of your mates who were kind of because like, it's kind of like some I don't I don't I don't know how many people had started families yet it was it felt like it was the last birthday get together where all your young mates come out and you have a big blowout in a yeah. pub and you yeah. go on to somewhere after and all that kind of stuff like and you know my 40s was really nice and the people that came out were it was great um but it was you know a th- half the size of it was the, the 10 years before because you know everyone's out with um with kids and marriage and yeah. work and you just as you get older and you hit your forties, a night out just takes it out of you. Um I was I think at that taste of my, my the pub I worked in had changed hands, I think, around this time. I'm promoting a fair bit of comedy. I'm 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 writing, but I'm not writing as a way of making money just yet. So the pub I'm working at, I think, had just ch- changed hands and this new landlord came in and um he uh he was good he'd become a really good mate of mine. Um I was the only member of staff that kind of stayed on and I helped him set this new business up and he went on to make the pub which had like been driven into the ground really. Oh. It ended up being the coolest little bar in town and uh for, for probably about half a year, ten months or so, it was it was cool as we got loads of young people coming and drinking in the pub. Mm. Um and then he started doing this really cool um kind of food and burgers and stuff. And speaking of burgers I, I, <laughs> your 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 bit of what you're doing went on for way longer than mine. Oh, okay. What do you I, want me to do about that? I also I, put as well more as shaving in my your head, head as well as shaving my head at the start of the year. I tried to grow my hair again with disastrous results. I'm glad we circled back for that. Yes, yes, <laughs> it was worth circling back for that. You, you bad man. Anyway. I was going on a burgers route to the next burger link, which is horse meats and burgers. I remember this. 2013, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was uh, mainly Iceland and stuff, wasn't it? I thought it was Frey Bentos as well. Oh, I don't remember that one. Oh, I you can't knock it... Frey. To be fair, if you're buying a Frey Bentos pie, <laughs> you have to expect there to be a bit of horse meat in it. Do you know um, what? Do you know what the weird thing was? Uh, I, I, I worked, this was during my first first uh, QA software testing job, and I worked uh, with, with, a, with a Hungarian woman called Ildiko, who I'm still uh, still mates with, and with her husband, uh, Lajos. And she went, we eat horse meat all the time. Yeah. I'll bring I'll bring you a sausage in tomorrow, and I, I she brought in horse meat sausage, and it was lovely. Yeah, sorry, I'm, yeah, I'm French, really sorry. The French are big into it as well. I'm sorry if that upsets people. I get it, but it's not bad meat. If you are not aware, the Food Science Agency tested beef burgers and ready meals from supermarkets and found ho- the presence of horse meat instead of like yeah. beef and stuff. Um, some products were 100 percent horse. Those were the horsiest of the products. Um, Yay. <laughs> And of course, it was traced to a French manufacturer. They love eating horses over there. Yeah. Um, Edward Snowden disclosed operations engaged with the uh, the CIA and all that kind of stuff, and uh, fled the country and found a safe haven known as Russia. Um, <laughs> uh, and then Dennis Rodman did that weird thing in North Korea. Um, <laughs> yeah. Dennis Rodman, of course, former member of the New World Order with Hulk Hogan. Um, oh, <laughs> I could wow. do I could do a four hour podcast on that. Um, in music, um, Miley Cyrus took twerking from uh, <laughs> like young black women and made it mainstream because she was a white person, and then twerking was everywhere. <laughs> yeah. um, 
the Harlem Shake was everywhere and became that um the people did the Harlem Shake like they did planking, didn't they? Yeah, it was that it that was, was the, a weird one. That was a weird one. The the viral kind of like group dance. It was almost like um uh, what do they call it uh, when people break out into it? Flash, flash mob. Flash mob. It was kind flash of flash mob. mob. Yeah. It was flash mob Harlem Shake, and um, the videos were annoying. Um, the top singles of the year. Do you remember any of these? Will this here is we go. 2013. Blurred Lines. The one uh, that yes. got everyone into trouble. It's 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 it uh, stays in my head, and it shouldn't because it's such it's such a, the lyrics are awful, but right. it's so. Catchy. I have to say, I. You can get rid of it if you want to. I'm not that big, but there's plenty of songs that have this kind of like mm. nuance to it, which is yeah. like, oh, I know you want it, and you're saying you don't. It's kind of playful in a flirting way. I don't quite get, other than the fact that he was cheating on his wife at the time, I don't yeah. quite understand why they went onto this one and went, this means sexual assault. <laughs> like, there are loads of old songs, which is like, you say you don't want it, but I'm, no, you don't mean it. Like, there's loads of songs, but that's kind of the theme of it. Anyway, yeah. I don't know. Um, Stay by Rihanna. Um, that's a really powerful. That's I, I, I'm not always a big fan of um, Rihanna's slow songs, but that one's really powerful. And she does some pretty pretty uh, emotional acting in the in the music video as well. Oh, cool. um, it's something else. Get Lucky oh. um, by Daft Punk featuring Pharrell Williams, which is still everywhere. Annoyingly, um, hey. Summertime. So I, I can't. I'm. I'm. You know. I like Daft Punk, but. It's lovely that song. You know, I like every other song by Daft Punk more than that one. Summertime <laughs> Sadness by Lana Del Rey, Every mm. Sad Girl's Hero, yeah. um, and <laughs> Happy by Pharrell Williams. The song what? he had to release that in order to get everyone to forgive him for appearing in Blurred Lines. Yeah. Blurred Lines. Um, what was he doing that year? He was everywhere. I know. Massive year for Pharrell. Um, uh, TV shows, um, House of Cards, which airs, which is Netflix's first in-house TV series. That is yeah. a, the first time that Netflix commissioned and paid for a TV show that they would air instead of buying an older TV show that already existed of a previous network. This is hugely important, mm. as we live in the world now of Disney Plus commissioning things like Secret Invasion um, and and WandaVision and all those wonderful TV shows. It's their direct line of distribution. This is Netflix starting it. Um, And they did it. I've listened to some wonderful documentaries about the creation of Netflix. They did it by not just putting a briefcase full of money on the table because, look, every network wanted House of Cards. Mm. Everyone was rocking up with money to that meeting. But Netflix came and said, oh, it's not just the money. We will not give you a single note. We won't have any demands on what you make. We will not be involved in the pro- the creative process or the production process whatsoever. You can make exactly the kind of TV show you want to make and we will air it on our network. Whereas the other the TV stations are like, well, you know, you can't really say this, and you can't really do yeah, that, and yeah, we can't really focus yeah. on this, because that's what they have to do with their advertisers and their sponsors and their different kind of business partners and the, the time it's going to be going out. And you know, even HBO has some concerns around that. And Netflix kind of put a very, very interesting package together of total creative freedom and 
cash money cheddar. Um, the series is obviously not only highly positively reviewed by uh, audiences, but also um, went on to have uh, lots of uh, Emmy Award nominations and um, and uh, things like that. Um, Brooklyn Nine Nine came out, Yay. and lots of people liked it. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure why. It's perfectly fine. It's the blandest of the shows that those wonderful people make. It, it's it, it's it's, it's, it's all right. Fun. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Is it a lot of fun? It doesn't make me laugh. It's kind of okay. Uh, I like, I like Captain Holt. That's yeah, that's the best part of it. You're right. Um, it's not as good as Parks and Rec. It's not as good as The Office. I don't get it. No, no, I don't no. Don't get no, why it's so beloved. Why is why do people why do people rave about Brooklyn Nine Nine and not Parks and Rec? I don't get it. <laughs> Maybe because Parks and Rec didn't really have much of a good airing in this country. I'm probably suffering from that, aren't I? Okay. Possibly. Um, and Breaking Bad aired its final episode. Um, in the movie world, um, we had uh, the highest grossing movies of 2013, Frozen, coming mm. in 1.2 billion. 1.28 billion. Iron Man 3 comes in at 1.21 billion. Iron Man 3, we've talked about this before, 1.21 billion dollars. Riding off the back of the Avengers because I don't think it was... That's what we felt, yeah. I mean, it, it those movies, Iron Man and the Avengers had made Robert Downey Jr. and Tony Stark a massive star mm. in a way that they hadn't done for any other Marvel character. Um, yeah, madness. Despicable Me 2 grossed uh, $970 million. The um, Hobbit Desolation of Smog, excuse me, came in at $959 million. Hunger Games Catching Fire, $865 million. I like the Hunger Games uh, movies. I think they're really good. Um, and in superhero movies, not only did we have Iron Man 3, we also had the Wolverine. Um, and Thor The Dark World in 2013. <laughs> and we had Man of Steel, um, a movie which I nearly walked out of. <laughs> um, genuinely, I had, had a little conversation with myself. Uh, was yeah. The moment where he, he murders General Zod, I was like, yeah. I think I'm going to go home. <laughs> It was so dull. This, Such I don't know a dull who film. I've been watching, but it's not Superman at this point. Mm. In the world of Marvel Comics, Peter Parker is dead in 2013. Um, his brain has been wiped clean, and Dr. Octopus has taken over Peter Parker's body and become the superior Spider-Man. Yes. A terrific story. It's one of our earliest bonus episodes, isn't it? It is. It was a fantastic uh, bonus episode on Patreon. And just check it out. You can get a seven day free trial. <laughs> yes. Uh, to check that out, patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Um, that's a great story. The Superior Spider Man um, kind of like length of that story is really, really good. Um, we had the Age of Ultron in Marvel Comics as well, which bears no resemblance to the movie whatsoever. Um, Ultron uh, takes over the world overnight. <laughs> Without us seeing what happened, and then of course they have to travel back in time and stop it from happening. It's not a good crossover. Okay. Um, okay. Also, this year the God Bomb, um, which is kind of the sequel to uh, <laughs> Thor versus Gore, the God Butcher, mm. where Gore decides if I can't go around killing gods one at a time with my bare hands, I shall build a bomb the size of a moon. <laughs> I shall call it the God Bomb. Uh, and it, he, he, do you know who he goes to? He goes to old Shadrach, 
uh, Shadrach is the god of all bombs. <laughs> what him? God, from of, Emmerd- god of the god, bombs. Not Shadrach from Emmerdale. Uh, no, no, or <laughs> indeed from the Shadrach from the Bible. Um, um, okay. Thor has to get help from past and future versions of himself in order to fight Gore and stop the God Bomb from destroying all gods everywhere. Let's take a little trip behind the page now and look at how S.H.I.E.L.D. came into being. And to do that, we need to pay a bit of attention to Nick Fury, who is mm. inexorably tied um, to S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, Nick Fury is a World War II soldier um, from the Marvel comics, but he doesn't appear until 18 years after the war had ended. Mm. So he's not like a world... Some some characters like Captain America were World War II characters that were being published during World War II. Nick Fury is not one of those characters. Um, he comes about in, in like 1963... Um, and, you know, it's a war comic about the Second World War. Um, and we don't really have, in 1963, we don't really have a lot, a world full of superheroes yet. Um, Thor is kind of doing his, like, Asgard adventures, fantasy kind of stuff. And we have Hulk doing the sci-fi monster movie thing. We talked about that. It's not really very superhero-y. Um, Spider-Man and Iron Man are probably, Spider-Man is certainly a very clear superhero. Hmm. He's only made a couple of appearances, though, but there's no X-Men, there's no Avengers. Um, and so it's not really the case that, that that Marvel is only creating superhero comics at the time. Um, and Jack Kirby, the legendary artist, the kind of the the second... The, there's two people that built the Marvel Universe. It's, it's Stanley and Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby's been wanting to do a war-themed comic book for quite some time. Hmm. Now, war comics were really popular in the 40s and the 50s. Um, and they might have featured, like, um, the DC comics had, like, the Black Hawks, who were jet fighter jet pilots, um, an elite team. Mm-hmm. Um, DC comics had Sergeant Rock, who was their big kind of, like, war hero, um, who would, you know, encounter ghosts and zombies on the battlefield and weird stuff like that. Um, or just regular people with guns. Um, or whether it was, you know, Captain America. Uh, superheroes in flashy costumes, the Justice Society and DC, they were kind of war-based stuff. Mm. Um, But after the huge success of Captain America, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon, the co-creators, they were lured away to DC Comics, (laughs) where they created a war-themed comic book called The Boy Commandos. (laughs) They're commandos, Will, but they're also boys. They're little little boys. They're little soldiers that murder people. Um, It was about a gang of young orphans that were trained to be an elite commando unit to mount surprise attacks on the Nazis. Surprise! You thought I was just a boy? Surprise! I'm also a commando! Bang! Um, And it was insanely popular. Boy commandos was only beaten in sales by Superman and Batman. Every other comic, Green Lantern, Flash... Just as a start, like everything else, it obliterated in the in the uh, in the sales because Amazing. you know, like kids want to see themselves in comics. That's why we have Robin. Yes, that we talked exactly. about in the last episode. That's why. I mean, this 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 whole setup is very bucky in Captain America. You know what 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 is better than just having Captain America? What if we give a character the kids can go? Hey, that's like me. If I could be a, a hero, yeah. You know, it's a young orphan that's adopted by Captain America, and off he goes to fight Nazis. Um, 
So uh, Kirby, Jack, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon only stop working on Boy Commandos, the comic, when they're drafted to go and actually fight Nazis in real life. <laughs> <laughs> wow, the irony. Yeah. yeah. Um, a key feature of Boy Commandos um, is that they kind of had all these different boys from different nationalities and backgrounds, mm. like a boy band. They had the, the British one, <laughs> the American one, and the bad boy your mum didn't approve of. But, um, oh yeah, because you know, going around killing people in the war—they're they're definitely all the good boys. Nah, not to D- uh, killing Nazis is not a moral crime, Will. Oh yeah, yes, yes. Sorry, for <laughs> remember? Was. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Be nothing would be more popular if you could have done a boy band in the in the late thirties, early forties, and they all were Nazi killers. <laughs> It would have been the biggest heartthrobs. Every mom in America would have been like, "Oh, what a sweet boy." Um, so, so anyway, we they did they 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 they, they, they did um, Captain America in the in the in the forties were lured away to DC Comics in Boy Commandos. They went off to actually fight in the war, mm. come back, and then in the sixties, Kirby wants to kind of bring this concept back, this kind of war comic idea, but with adults instead of orphaned children um <laughs> at the same time stanley's playing golf and drinking cocktails uh, of course um as he often is with the publisher of marvel comics martin goodman who is his cousin in law his wife's cousin um uh lee and kirby are riding high on the success of things that shouldn't have worked like <laughs> iron man and the fantastic four and spider-man not so much the hulk we all know that comic sold like dirt. Yeah. Um, but Martin Goodman makes a bet with Stan because he's basically saying none of these things should have worked. Spider Man, the hero is an insect person. That's disgust. Like this keeps happening. And Martin Goodman is like, I don't know why these kids want to buy these comics. This is awful. So he makes a bet with Stan and says, I want you to take the most ridiculous name for a comic book and mm. see if. The Lee slash Kirby method of making comics can make it popular. And for some reason, the most ridiculous name that Martin Goodman and Stanley came up with is Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos. Um, and that's what they make. It's a it's a combat war theme comic book in the sixties, set during the height of the World War Two, mm. and it features uh, an, an elite unit nicknamed the Howling Commandos. Um and this team of, of war veterans is led by the gruff macho cigar chomping sergeant fury who has both his eyes in his head and he <laughs> marshals them on all these battles against the nazis and it's just a straight up like war themed combat book like a dozen others being published by marvel competitors in the early 60s um there's still quite a lot of third like kids there was there were a lot of war comics when i was young in the 80s um Lots of comics that were set in like the Second World War, black and white kind of comics about you know the the, mm. the noble British soldier and the good honest British soldier and stuff. And it, the, the, but the thirst for it must have been even higher in the sixties with with kids that had perhaps caught the tail end of the war or grown up hearing about it completely in the fifties. So there's an awful lot of you know, it, it, especially if your dads and your uncles and your granddads fought in this war. You know, there's probably a lot of thirst for it in in, in, in in kids. Oh, absolutely. Now, there's nothing initially to suggest that any of these stories took place in the same realm as 
where Spider-Man was happening and the Fantastic Four was happening. Marvel wasn't doing exclusively all our stories are set in the shared Marvel universe. They were just making comics. Some of them were connected, others weren't. Um, but then in, in, in 1963, Sergeant Fury meets a young Reed Richards during the Second World War. Ooh. Um, and that comic revealed that during the 40s, Reed had worked for the OSS, the uh, Military Intelligence mm. uh, Unit, and been, been a scientist for them. Um, and so we kind of go, oh, okay, that means Sergeant Fury is in the Marvel Universe. And then a year later, the Howling Commandos fight alongside Captain America and Bucky. And so we kind of bit by bit go, okay, I guess Nick Fury is part of the Marvel Universe. As superheroes became more and more popular... Um, Stanley and Jack Kirby kind of leave the Howling Commandos behind to focus on superheroes and I think war themed comics become less popular in the 60s mm. um, and that could have been it for Sergeant Fury he could have easily been left behind forgotten or he could have carried on just being like an out of place kind of like older military general barking orders and firing machine guns in the 40s. But then in 1964, the James Bond movie Goldfinger becomes a monster hit. Ah, it, yes. It makes, in 1964, it makes over $120 million at the box office. And then NBC has a TV series, uh, a hit on their hands, The Man from Uncle. Um, yes. So Britain and America are both in the grip of the spy craze of the sort of mid early mid sixties, um, and so let's promise to always remember one thing about Stanley in this era: he's incredibly good at reacting to and then copying pop culture. Like he's just really good at it. Um, so Stan goes, "I see where the trends are in what people are interested. Pop culture is all about spies. We're gonna have a spy book. Let's do a spy book." So they do. They create a Cold War spy comic set in the in the ever-growing Marvel universe and packed full of science fiction gadgets that James Bond made sort like he made gadgets popular, but in a comic book, gadgets can do anything. We don't have to worry about practical effects. Um, and for the hero of this new spy comic, Stanley reached back and plucked out his old warhorse Sergeant Fury, and came up with a brand new role for the guy. Redesigned for the new series, Sergeant Fury the Soldier becomes Nick Fury the Cool Super Spy. He now sports an enigmatic eye patch that he doesn't talk about. Um, whilst Napoleon Solo is the man from Uncle, U N C L E. Yeah. And James Bond battled against Smirsh and Spectre. Nick Fury is the agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, so an international espionage outfit based on the idea of Uncle from The Man From Uncle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this is what saved, you know, Nick Fury from obscurity or being forgotten. A whole new lease on life with a whole new direction and it's in the very zeitgeist kind of pop culture trend. Um, Bond battled Spectre. The men from Uncle battled the forces of Thrush, who were misses. Uh, and Nick Fury would seek to save the world from Hydra. Um, so, 
whilst initially it was written and drawn by Stanley and Jack Kirby, in 1966, something phenomenal happened to S.H.I.E.L.D. Writer-artist Jim Starenko began work on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and would transform it into one of the most famous and influential comic books in American history. Starenko is uh, an innovative talent that emerged at Marvel, and what he helped to do is completely revolutionize the look of comic books by taking influence from um, pop artwork um, and from like uh, psychedelic art as well. Um, by 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 taking things from like Andy Warhol and and folding that into his comics, he made his comic books like thoroughly thoroughly like in the trend of the 60s mm. the writer artist larry hammer said um jim starenko combined the figurative dynamism of jack kirby with modern design concepts the graphic influence of peter max op art and andy warhol were embedded into the design of the pages and the pages were designed as a whole not just as a series of panels all this executed in a crisp, hard-edged style, seething with drama and anatomical tension. Strenko's artwork is like light years ahead of anything else anyone in comic books is doing. Um, and he's pouring like the beating heart of the 60s art world into a comic book about spies. It's the coolest thing ever. Um <laughs> He took when he took over as writer as well as artist. Serenko's plot lines involve a lot of like, like adult levels of like betrayal and tension, like sexuality that was barely hidden, um, <laughs> hip sci-fi that was in vogue at the time, and and then the psychedelic elements as well. He created his own version of the Bond girls, um, like the Shield female agents were like in skin tight leather. Um, really pushing the the envelope in terms of what was allowed under the comic book code authority at the mm. time. Um, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. was constantly being censored by the CCA for its approach to violence, um, depicting threat of death and death, um, and massively for its sexuality. Um, <laughs> Starenko completely changes Nick Fury. When Nick Fury goes from Sergeant Fury to like the guy running S.H.I.E.L.D., but Stan Lee's writing him, it's the same guy. <laughs> It's just the same guy, right? But then Starenko comes aboard and Nick Fury stops being the gruff brawler from World War II. And Starenko's Fury is cool and confident. He's a modern urban super spy to rival James Bond. He has that cynicism mm. and that cruelty to him when it comes to his enemy. Um, this is perhaps... This it, this probably is. It's the first lead Marvel character who isn't a downtrodden underdog outcast. Ah, uh, okay, Ever, that's why Spy stands out. Even 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 I even Tony Stark. Because when we meet him, he's got the thing happening to his heart. His heart's exploding. Yeah, he's and now he's meant to be this trapped in an iron lung and an outcast who can't date and women can't love him whether it's whether it's that or whether it's bruce banner or spider-man or whether it's ben grimm like they're all ah 
I had such a hard lot in life. <laughs> and then Strenko's Nick Fury comes along and he's just the coolest guy in the room with the coolest job, the yep. coolest car, the coolest gadgets, and beautiful women like hanging off him. Um, Strenko books the Marvel style with his art and his writing. Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., he does not play by the the rule, the Marvel rules. Sterenko, and he didn't care because he was already... So he's basically Don Draper in Mad Men. So he's got a successful uh, yeah. career at a Manhattan ad agency. He doesn't really care. He doesn't need all of this stuff, right? He's comic artist by night. Um, so he doesn't follow the rules because he doesn't care if his book sells well or not. He's doing what he wants to do. He cares about creating a, a modernist 60s art fantasy, no matter who reads it. Um, one of the most famous Starenko Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. issues is entirely silent, as in it's wordless. There's no speech as Nick Fury sneaks into a Hydra location. Marvel Comics, refu- it's, it's an incredible issue. It's an incredible issue. Never been done before. Marvel Comics refused to pay him. Ooh. They refused to pay him the full fee because they said, you haven't written anything, so we're only going to pay you as the artist. Oh. It's ridiculous, though, yeah. with the button heads. Like, Starenko hated Stanley. Stanley didn't understand why this. Stanley doesn't get art. Like, art artist, Stanley doesn't get it. <laughs> um, like, what do you mean? <laughs> Just. Write a thing where he has to punch a guy. The series won awards left, right, and center. Um, and left an indelible mark on the comic world. Um, and when it came to an end in 1968, Lee Kirby and Starenko had established Nick Fury and also S.H.I.E.L.D. as like key figures in the larger world of the Marvel Universe. From that point on, S.H.I.E.L.D. would always, always be involved um, in virtually every Marvel comic that would go on in some way or form. Like they'd they we talk about world building an awful lot. Well mm. in the in the sixties, Marvel is world building their universe bit by bit, chunk by chunk. And Shield become this really important cornerstone of this universe. We we know that the Marvel universe has aliens. We mm. know that it has gods because of like Thor's comics. We know that it has mutants. These things make the the, the world very distinctive because usually um, a book or a comic that you read has got one of those things. It's like, this is the normal world, but in it there are mutants. Or, but in it there's some aliens. Or, but in it, gods are real. Like Marvel was like, all of them, (laughs) plus super science. And then at the same time, just as important to it as the gods and the aliens and the mutants... The Marvel Universe has this super spy network. It has something in place because of all this weird stuff. There has to be someone to go, we need to be able to lock Dr. Octopus up. Mm. We need to be able to stop aliens from destroying Manhattan. We need to have some handle on the mutants. And we need to know what Thor's doing. And that becomes S.H.I.E.L.D. Let's give a big shout out, Will, to the people that really make this podcast uh, move and groove. Peter J, Brandon Schmigilski, Randall Schmidt, Zach Thomas, Bastabier, Sam, Bindi, Sue P, Jack Davis, 
Billy Brown, Zubair Q, the world-class wrecking crew, the top, top, top subscribers that help us out on Patreon each and every month. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Um, that's how we stay on the air. Like, without subscribers, we don't have adverts, we don't have sponsorships, without subscribers helping us out and saying, this content is so much for me. This is so specifically something I love. I'm going to contribute £3, £5, £10 to make sure that you guys can put all the work in and to keep the, the wheels turning. Um, that's the only way me and Will can afford to take so much time away from our actual paying work and lives and loved ones and make shows the quality that you've come to expect. Talking about that Batman 1989 episode. Yes. Talking about that when we went back and looked at the original Spider-Verse you know, it's tons of um, research and writing and editing and production. We do it all for you guys. So when you guys support us and build that community, that's what really keeps us going. And that's the only way we're able to make these shows. And in exchange on that Patreon, we uh, we like to put out some awesome, awesome, awesome bonus episodes for everyone that supports us and gives back. Um, there are 73 bonus episodes available right now, Will. 70? Oh, God, we've been three. going for a while, haven't we? We did Spider-Geddon in the last month, which was the sequel to Spider-Verse, as we um, explored explored the Superior Spider-Man and the Scarlet Spider and Spider-Gwen and Spider-Punk, all in Spider-Geddon. This month, we're releasing a deep dive into Secret Invasion as it's hitting the Disney Plus um, show very very soon um, the Marvel Civil War has left the superhero community more vulnerable than ever before as friend turns on friend and half the Avengers become wanted criminals being hunted down by Tony Stark it is the biggest status quo shift in the history of Marvel and in the middle of all this a terrifying secret is uncovered the shape-shifting scrolls have started to invade Earth in secret replacing key figures around the globe. And this wraps the Avengers, the X-Men, Spider-Man, everyone up in a great, grand scroll conspiracy. We'll take you on a full, deep dive into what happens at the end of the Civil War, how the Secret Invasion begins. We'll go through the Secret Invasion, um, and then we'll show you the ramifications as well, and what happens at the end. All the stories that inspired the very latest Marvel Disney Plus TV show. That's our deep dive, full-length episode on Patreon this month. It's available to those at the VIEP tier and above. That's what we give back. Um, you'll also get access to. Uh, so yes, if you if you're in that tier, you're gonna there's 37 full-length um, bonus episodes for you guys to check out, plus early access to uh, to every show that we do, plus access to 31 mini shows. Um, obscure Marvel drops each and every month for the people um, as we, uh, for everyone, everyone gets Obscure Marvel and that's when me and Will have a lot of fun looking at the most ridiculous characters <laughs> and stories in the Marvel Universe how did you feel about the boomerang Will? <laughs> oh god uh, they, they just get more ridiculous each time they get more ridiculous each time, that was a particularly weird one, it's just like okay He's got, what was it? He, you, your main, your, I won't go into it, but you were like, that's not a boomerang, that's a frisbee. <laughs> was one he thing. doesn't use boomerangs for yeah. half the issue. Yeah. <laughs> and right now, for a limited time in July, you can get a seven-day free trial 
of our Patreon. You can explore all our bonus shows from the mega deep dives to obscure Marvel to some of the fun mini shows. Seven days of Marvel versus Marvel bonus content for free. It's a trial offer. Head to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Look for the VIEP tier, which will be on a free trial. Patreon never let us do free trials before, so we're really excited to give this a whirl and say to people, if you've always thought about supporting the show, if you've always wondered what our bonus content is like, if you wanted to check it out, for seven days you can. Come along, have a listen, see what some of the awesome, awesome um, bonus content, free bonus episodes we got down there, and you get seven days um, joining me and Will with early access and with uh, mini shows and full-length deep dives. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Be part of the community, support the show, check out our free trial, listen to some cool episodes, and see what there is to see on Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. On the other side of this break, it is the patented deep dive into Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.